0: Hey there, welcome to Permanent Waves, a podcast all about Rush. Thank you very much for, for listening or downloading or however you're listening to this episode. Really appreciate it. Uh, this week, I'm talking to a brand new friend of mine, which is something I love about the podcast here, is that I get to, you get to meet a new person at the same time that I'm meeting them. Uh, this is Brandon Dyke. He's a guitarist from, where are you from, Brandon? I'm
1: from Greenville, South Carolina. South Carolina. actually a little talk. A little town outside of Greenville called Malden, more specifically. So
0: yeah, nice. It's actually it's it's worked out kind of well. Um, the last few guests I've had that we've all been on the East Coast, so right on. <laughs> planning the uh, the recording time has been uh, has worked out pretty well. But right before we got on the air, we were just uh, talking about Neil's books, and I wanted to ask ask you, Brandon. Um, I assume you've read Clockwork Angels, the novel.
1: Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I just got the book. It's kind of funny. Like, I haven't even read the novel yet, but it's actually on the list right now. Actually, you know, before we started the podcast, we were chatting about Neil's books, and I had mentioned, um, you know, that I own all the books, and I and I kind of periodically go back and forth between the books, and we were talking about a lot of information there in his books, that he discusses and different geological places to go, and um, you know, he he he's such a good writer that he gives you more than just you know the little kernels of uh, beauty from the band that you want to find out about, but also just places that you want to travel to and and different landscapes, and and also the history that's tied up in all of that stuff. So, I certainly enjoy his books, but. Yeah, Clockwork Angels is as a matter of fact it's 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 on the shelf right now and because I'm working on an album right now called Headspace, it's a you know progressive rock album, <laughs> it's uh it's there just waiting for me. So obviously I know the, the gist of the concept album and I know that the story, you know, outlines that in more detail
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I know the character and, and that sort of thing and some of the characters that are involved, but I haven't yet read from front to cover but that's certainly on the list here for the that's, next that's that's really months.
0: interesting because you i like i said i'm i have yet to read neil's books but i have read clockwork and you're the opposite oh very nice <laughs> very nice um, i will say yeah. i will say that i i learned uh, well number one the amount of rush quotes not clockwork related in that novel are insane and
1: yeah yeah that's what i've i've seen in interviews with neil him chatting about you know those little nuggets of uh little lyrics in there that he gives to the rush fan kind of you know
0: uh-huh. and some people said they were kind of hokey or maybe a little cheesy i thought i i loved it i mean <laughs> i don't if you're gonna quote digital man while you're telling me the story or some other obscure rush song that doesn't have anything to do with it but make it work then i think that's yeah great.
1: yeah exactly i think that's a really cool thing and i I think, you know, you kind of have to tap into the whole genre of sci-fi books, too. You know, Kevin Anderson um, and Neil have been friends for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, way back after Grace Under Pressure, I guess, they started becoming friends, because one of Kevin's uh, books, I forget which one it was, but he was, like, really inspired by Grace Under Pressure, Mm -hmm. and so they've been friends for years, but... All that to say, it's like these guys just they're like us, you know they get they get really excited about what they do, and they get they get kind of into it, and it's kind of like a way for them to to have a sense of humor in there and and you know also to kind of kind of keep the legacy going of of the whole um, art form of like sci-fi in a way right but there's there's like so I think if you put your mind in the focus of that whole genre of writing and then not to mention just the celebration of like rush itself, having that those type of kernels of lyrics in there just to kind of, to kind of just, just give you a little bit of a tickle there. You know, I think it, for me, you know, one of two of the, two of the words I hate are cheesy and dated, you know, it's like, what actually is dated and what actually is cheesy? You can't really define it. It's kind of it's kind of something that's relative is, to yeah, it's certainly relative to the situation, yeah, mm-hmm. but I really enjoy. Um, and I'm looking forward to like, you know, finding those little kernels when I read yeah, the novel. Yeah. so
0: even beyond that, I uh, was supr- I thought I knew the story of the album before I read the book and I thought the book would just kinda of go into a little more detail. But I really didn't have a fantastic grasp on what the story was before I read the book. After the novel I was like, oh, like I was I was pretty wrong <laughs> in a couple of those places. <laughs> just from you know yeah. what I had from the lyrics.
1: Yeah, and that's what I'm looking forward to, because mm-hmm. you know, you can't really you can't really put a whole concept album you can't put everything together without the novel from what I've heard from other, you know, fellow diehard fans, because it's, there's so much information missing there, but you know, in other words, I get the spirit of the album. I get, I get the idea of the album. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a beautiful story about a character that's trying to find his way, you know, trying to find
0: all these,
1: to validate these belief systems that he's been taught, you know, and everything. Mm And, you know, I think it's great because you have a character that I think every human being can relate to, Um, no matter which way the wind blew for them, you know. (laughs) So growing up. You're you're a monster, uh, man. This is great. You know, I mean, it's just kind of like, it's kind of one of those things where, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, it's almost as cool as Star Wars because you've got these universal things that everybody can kind of latch on to.
0: Yes.
1: And then you have the idea of, you know, the watchmaker kind of outlining what you would probably refer to as God from what what other people have said. Um, Or at least a... Um a uh, being that, that rules over over the over the land, so to speak. So you know you have all these concepts and you have all these characters, and I think it's kind of neat where it, it just kind of plays out you know that, that that particular role, and somebody can easily relate to it. Um,
0: so have you, I think I remember you telling me, like, I want to know how many times you've seen the band, roughly, and where you've been sitting for each.
1: Okay. Um, well, it's kind of a great story, um, actually. I've, when I first became a rock fan, it was like 1990, and I started playing guitar, and my guitar teacher at the time, my very first teacher... And I only had him for a little while because he left the music store I was taken at in Seminole, Florida, where I grew up. Um, But he gave me moving pictures on tape. And he said, look, man, you got to listen to this. This will, like, totally change your perspective on music. And I was like, really? So I I took it home. And, of course, my first album that I hear by Rush is moving pictures. Mm -hmm. And I'm just utterly blown away, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I was just literally blown away because, you know, we're we're talking about right when Grunge came out, you know? I mean, it was like everything was moving into into that Seattle Nirvana Pearl Jam thing, you know? And to hear that was just epic. And so that like radically changed my approach to music. And I went out and bought every album to date. So... In 1991, when Roll the Bones came out, I remember taping Dreamline off the radio just just so I could learn um, Alex's uh, guitar solo, <laughs> and, and that was awesome. And and I remember like standing in line to like buy that tape. You know, it was like random. Did you have but, enough? Um,
0: did you have enough frets to learn that solo?
1: Yeah, I did actually. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for that really high part. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um. I did, and um, but all that to say, you were talking about Rush concerts. Um, I I pretty much went to the Roll the Bones concert. That was like my first concert, mm-hmm. and um, and that was actually in like I think February of 1992. Right. So I mean, I got to hit every single tour except for Vapor Trails, unfortunately, and that's like. <laughs> A big return, you know. I wish I could have been to that. Yeah. And um for reasons that I really can couldn't control. But uh but yeah, so as a whole, I've been to over 10 rush shows. Nice. Um
0: Now now uh in February 91, I was 3 months old.
2: <laughs> Just for in, <laughs> <was> of, nice, <laughs> in
0: perspective. Nice. Uh you were I have a couple questions. Were the rabbits um around for that tour? Wasn't that the tour where they shot the rabbit?
1: They, I think they still had the rabbits from Presto, right? Okay. I think you're right.
2: Okay.
1: Um, if my memory serves me, I was I was blown away because I think they played Xanadu on that tour, uh-huh. if I remember correctly, and I was like, <laughs> I was so blown away that they that they played that. But it was also, the um, last
0: time we heard "Where's My Thing" until this year, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, until until recently, and then I think they also had Primus um, open up for them. Oh man. And actually, yeah, Neil was just talking recently on his latest interview that they would get together before the shows and they would have like these jam sessions with like really odd instruments and stuff like that. And I was like, man, I would love to be a part of that, you know? (laughs) So, but one of the coolest Rush show um, experiences I had recently was Clockwork Angels in the Charlotte, at the Charlotte show. And I think it was the 2012 leg yeah and um, basically I was meeting up with a bunch of Rush fans at a like a pre-show gathering and they had this radio giveaway thing at the restaurant right there it was right in Charlotte and um, well I didn't win the giveaway but I looked over and I recognized the lady that did she ended up being my wife's cousin (laughs) <laughs> that was actually like there for a bunch of work friends and she already had great seats and she wasn't really necessarily a rush fan. So I basically went up to her and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe you're here. And, um, and she was, oh, I didn't know you were here. And, you know, so she had people coming up to her, Saying, "Hey, you know, I, you know, I buy these tickets for four hundred bucks right now, and she still gave them to me. Wow! So, I and it turned out great because it ended up being Alex's side, and I was just right there, and I could see every guitar fingering that he did <laughs> on every song, and it was just awesome, you know. So, yeah, that that's probably my best experience. Most of the other Rush shows, I end up being on the floor." typically on an average around like row 20. Okay. Um, one year I was like row 12. You know, there's a bunch of friend, friends of mine that, that they, they throw down some major cash and they always have really, really great front row seats and second row seats and, and stuff. Um, because I'm a musician and that's how I make my living, uh, yeah, enough said, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and I have a family of six, so I have to pretty much everything that I you know, make goes into supporting my family. Yeah. Now on this last
0: tour, I decided, I was like, I don't know how much longer these guys are going to be touring. Um, Uh I just, I gotta get close. So I I, I saved a bunch of money and I said, I'm going to get the the best seat I can get. Um, So they announced the tour dates and I was going to see them in Saratoga in upstate New York. Uh, Very nice. And I, so the the best thing I could find online was the VIP package through VIP Nation, I think. And uh-huh. so you got a, a bulk box of merch, like t-shirts and keychains and all this other garbage, uh, like a nice t-shirt, um, and the tour book, which I usually buy for 35 bucks or whatever anyway. Um, yeah. So I'm like, this is great. I think it was $300 dollars for the whole thing and you got a seat guaranteed within the first 15 rows um
1: yeah i it, heard about that <laughs> it was ba-
0: <laughs> it was based on how quickly you ordered and i remember i had class i was still in school i had class um when it opened up or whatever but i got there two hours after it opened the, the day it opened and i ended up you didn't find out where you're sitting until the day of so you get to the um you get to the venue and we're in the parking lot with I had a bunch of my Rush buddies and I've got I'm my my speakers I'm surprised are still intact. I had it so loud. Um <laughs> and I had a playlist of the most obscure rush tunes I could think of because there's already a hundred cards playing Red Barchetta, you know?
1: No, I know, so, yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm like, how about some emotion detector guys? Woo
1: um, exactly i love that song and
0: then i got to walk up to the booth and find out get my envelope and i ended up being seventh row but that was behind the pit there's like a special section of seats in the pit maybe like uh-huh. five or six rows and then the seating numbers start i was i was right. close and it was right in front of getty when he was singing into the mic it looked like he was looking right at me
1: um, that's the bass <laughs> player's dream man that's right that's
0: pretty sweet. <laughs> so um but i'm still at a loss to how i get front row seats there's a man that i call my buddy and i chad who's been on previous episodes we call him turban man there is a man with a big beard and a turban that sits front row uh dead center right in front of neil between getty and alex for every show in the northeast every single show and we can we know who he is because he's the only guy there wearing a turban. And he's front row for every show surra- <laughs> in the surrounding states of New York. Um, That's and I, amazing. I tried my best at the end of the show. I'd already seen the Clockwork um, concert three other times that year. and right. So, at the end of the show, I ran down there to try to... I was going to grab him by the shirt and be like, How? <laughs> How do you get these tickets? Um, <laughs> and when I... It's all dark. They're playing their outro video. And... He's gone. He just vanished. And he's seen the show 17 times already, so he doesn't care about that video. Um, but I yeah, wasn't exactly able to catch him. Every time I see a picture, like, you know, they release the pictures after each show, and he's there, I always say to myself, I will find you, Turbid Man. I will find you. Is
1: awesome. <laughs> uh, so That's I don't cool. know yeah, how
0: I have-, I have to, what do I have to do to get those seats? But maybe someday I'll find out.
1: Well, that's it, man. I never thought in a million years that I would be able to be front row, and and it just kind of it just kind of happened. It was just kind of neat, you know. And and you know, I, um, you know, I put out uh, you know guitar tribute to Alex on YouTube called "Son of Life" uh-huh. back in two thousand and ten. Son of and Life, it, you know, it right? got, yeah, as a solo guitar composition that I composed just as a tribute to him, you know. And um, you know, it's 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 funny, like, you know, you get, you meet all kinds of people in the rush world and, and people have just been really, really great and friendly and just like, oh yeah, you know, you, you know, you're that son of life guy. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, thanks. You know, like, just, <laughs> it's just funny. But yeah, I was thinking the whole time being front row, you know, just being like, uh, you know, Alex thinking, oh, there's that son of life guy. <laughs> type right. thing, you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh man. And
0: I bet he, <laughs> so, I bet he's seen it too. You
1: know, that, yeah, yeah. It it, well, out. you know, of course, of course, everybody thinks that Rush is looking right at them, right? Exactly. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just playing, but, but that, but yeah, it's just so much fun, man. Like we, we're all, we're all into it. We're all, we're all like just moved by what those guys do, you know. And and that's yeah. that's the cool thing about it, you know. I think they're just genuine, normal guys that love to play honest music you know when it comes down to rush i mean that's what rush means to me it's like complete musical freedom and complete honesty mm-hmm. um that's what i always keep in mind so and that's ask. what i want for my own music too you know
0: sure um let yeah. me ask you some guitar stuff like i said we've cool. had a lack of guitar uh, uh i don't know representation <laughs> on the show uh i hear you so I know you told me, you told me a second ago before we were on the air that you like the moving pictures stuff sound wise for Alex. You like yeah, his tone, yeah?
1: Yeah, I, I I basically I I mean the thing about Alex is he's such a great tone producer on on his own from his own point of view. Like I really really think that he's a big responsibility for getting half the sound that he that he that he got yep. probably. Most of the responsibility was on him, and so you know, most people forget that. A lot of times, the producer didn't really have to say, "Alex, get a better guitar tone or tone, you know, or sound." I don't think that was ever uttered. So, you know the whole the whole idea about it for me is that I look at Alex's um, tone as being good all across the board. The um, you can tell a difference between obviously, uh, hemispheres a farewell to Kings moving pictures and mm-hmm. permanent waves. You can tell a slight difference between those two, but I would kind of bridge those along with 2112 in the same category, even though he used different guitars and different amps,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: but then I would say, uh, you know, signals, trace under pressure, power windows, hold your fire. That's in its own little category because of the production style that was out that time. Right. You know, I mean, you know, right, right in Power Windows, when Power Windows was produced, he started using that spatial expander, the TC Electronics spatial expander, and that, that was kind of like the beginning of that really wide sound. Like you mentioned Emotion Detector, Take the solo on Emotion Detector, and you got that sound, you know. Right. Um, and even just the lead guitar parts in that track. Um, but what does know, a spatial
0: expander do?
1: What it does is it gives it. Um, it's like reverb, but it's a little bit different. It just gives it a wider presence,
2: uh-huh.
1: almost like it's the way I like to describe it is. It's almost like reverb, but it's it's it has like a better. Um, it's it's almost like putting something into five point one stereo almost
2: you know okay, yeah
1: like so it's a doubled effect but it's reverb that perhaps isn't so bright it's a darker mm-hmm. sound um, and there's lots of different controls that he has I mean he still uses that that effects unit yeah. now to this day and he mm-hmm. loves it but I mean you know I mean and back then he had any, everything from a Marshall to a high watt. To a um, even a Fender bassman, uh, you know there were times where he used some Fenders. I, I even on even on Hemispheres he used he used the Fender amps a couple times, you know, to get that that, that clean tone that a Fender can get. Um, but I I would say that like what I liked about Moving Pictures is that they stacked the sounds when they did the recording. So, for example, he would lay down... Let's use Tom Sawyer as an example. Say he did the the rhythm part to Tom Sawyer, the very opening part. Um, he would actually go on top of that on another track in the studio, and he would overdub another guitar with another amp combination. Hmm. So it would get this sort of like... Like really big guitar tone that that he could get in the studio, and he could you know then the producer could do at at the at the time Terry Brown could do his magic mm-hmm. to um, to make that guitar sound just really really come to life. But I you know on a Farewell to Kings Hemispheres you know twenty one twelve I hear kind of like this you know Hiwat Marshall combo cranking you know 335 355 sound that he's pretty famous for for the classic Rush you know yeah. Um. Mo- and, and I find many guitar players are just kind of torn between which one they like I'm I'm different I like all of them and I just say it's just it's just which one do you want which color do you want and it all depends on what you're trying to you know go for and what actually he's going for um I mean I certainly love the sound of his uh his rig now with uh the um and Kettner set up and then now he's also got uh, he's using um Apple plugins now from the soundboard. Wow. So that's yeah that's amazing like some of the cuz this last tour he didn't even have the amplifiers on stage. Right. They were all off stage. And you know Scott was back there running that for him, so, and then um, Brad out in the house, he was um, pumping uh, uh, plugins from the soundboard that could enhance his sound live too. So, so does
0: he still have Hughes and Kettner's amps? On the yeah, clockwork? yeah, they're just not visible. Yeah. And what about this Lurks head?
1: Yeah, the, I mean I think he certainly used the Lurks head. I mean that's that's in is that elapsed. Marshall? No, it's not. I forget the name of the company off oh. the top of my head, but it is a boutique company. Somebody okay. that designed that for him. Um, but that, but that is something that like you know I I think has a similar sound as the Core Blade and Switchblade. Yep. That he was using by Houston Katner. Um, honestly, my own rig. I'm I play a custom guitar. It's a custom strap and it's got two Pearly Gate humbuckers in it. Um, and my Strat is like a Gibson scale length, so it's a shorter scale. I can mm-hmm. get a Gibson and a Strat sound in one guitar, and I'm I'm more of a Fender guy. I like the Fender sound. So yeah. it's like it, it's funny. There's a lot of diehard Rush fans that go out and they get exactly what Alan has. But the thing about tone is that a lot of tone is in your fingers. It's not just the gear that you have.
2: Oh yeah, I
1: know. It's, it's how you play the guitar too. You know. So, I mean, I've heard many stories, um, even like other guitar players, Yngwie Monski, for example, where I've heard a friend of mine went to a uh, concert and, and the guitar tech came out and played on his rig and he was like, ooh, I didn't like the tone. And then when Ingve picked up the guitar, it was just amazing. Like he came <laughs> out and his tone sounded amazing. Well, it's because Engve's playing it. It's his fingers. And I think Alex would agree with that, too. I mean, there's a certain amount of tone that you get out of your fingers that you can't really replicate, even if you have the same exact
0: gear. Oh, yeah, that's the same thing yeah. with Getty. I've got a video on YouTube that, um, that right. people watched about how you, you people buy the Getty Lee bass, and they then they write all over the internet how it didn't make them sound like Getty Lee. And there's a billion other exactly, components yeah. that go into it. Like, mostly how he's playing the string. You know,
1: right, right, exactly, and and, you know, I'm pretty big on that when I'm teaching guitar. You know, yep. I mean, you know, for me, I've been a Rush fan all my life. I go in and out of that. You know, I've learned probably you know most of the Rush songs through the years, but in my current fingers now, I don't just sit around playing Rush songs because I have my own music that I'm writing. I have other assignments that I'm doing in the music world, maybe session jobs, or maybe my I play in a rock trio called CVS, and I have another project with my brother called Trade Roots. So we're we're always like there's always you know that random access memory that you can only store so many things in your fingers, mm-hmm. and then obviously I have my own Rush covers that I've done, you know, just in my own solo performances and things. But, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's a big thing. I think um, when I teach some of my own students, I often will try to get them to, you know, think about what they want to come up with, what, what kind of stuff do they want to compose. And I think, for me, being such a diehard Rush fan, when I write, sometimes some of my stuff, I mean, you just can't help getting away from it sounding like Rush. I mean, <laughs> but I don't purposely go, I want to sound like Rush, it's just like, some of the stuff comes out and it's, it's very it because and it's, you know a lot of times you put on this mentality and it just kind of goes there you know right, yeah so um let that's me, a beautiful thing
0: you're such a wealth of knowledge from the guitar world that i do not have and this is really good to hear well, thank um, you. it's a I, nice I appreciate that. uh you gave us a nice layout from the early stuff up to uh, like hold your fire. Give me like one minute, uh, and I'll throw sure. a, I'll throw an era at you, and you give me one minute on what you think or what you know about Alex's sound or gear okay. or whatever from that era. Okay, let's do okay. presto and roll the bones. The uh, I know they talked about it on uh, all the or beyond the lighted stage a little bit about his. The, such a thin trebly tone. Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: you, you're talking about. Are you talking about from the album?
0: Yeah, oh uh, you know yeah, about? specifically each right, album, right, right. the studio. Records. Okay,
1: all right. You're just talking about the the difference between you have such a almost a, a, a thin trebly sound versus a really fat guitar macho type of tone. <laughs> right. Um, a lot a lot of that does not really have to do with Alex's gear much at all. It has to do with the production. A lot of times people will listen to an album and they'll go, ooh, I don't like the guitar player's gear or their setup. But sometimes it's not that at all. Sometimes it can be how the mastering style is during that particular era. Um, in the 80s, you know, we had a lot of programmed drums. We had a lot of, um, uh, very, very overly trebly, uh, production sometimes like in like if, if you want to get really technical um that 15 to 20k range where a lot of people would roll off the high end a little bit now especially now like the way people produce things you know they, those upper trebly sounds. sometimes you got to be really careful especially with digital uh-huh. but back then back then that was the big thing the other thing is you have to remember what's going on in both hold your fire and presta well mainly hold your fire. You have a lot of keyboard in there. Yeah. So in the sonic range of keyboard, sometimes that eats up the mid range space where a nice Gibson tone would sit in the mix. Mm-hmm. Right? So what happens is the only choice that a producer has is to boost the treble so that the right. guitar pa- player can be heard mm-hmm. in the mix. So I, I think a lot of that... Now, I tend to love the sound of Hold Your Fire. I love the production of Hold Your yes. Fire. I think it's wonderful. Yep. Um, and I love Mission. I love the tone that he has going on on, on that song. Uh-huh. And the first time I heard that, solo i cried i mean it's just like so emotional i wish they wouldn't fade it though <laughs>
0: i wish they wouldn't fade that solo out
1: yeah you know and that's funny because if you have heard my acoustic version of mission yeah that's kind of like why i kind of did my own thing with that at uh-huh. the end of that um performance is because on the album they stayed his solo out and I was like, "Well, hey, I'm just like some Rush fan having imagination about perhaps what it would look like on an acoustic guitar, right? You know." Yeah. And so that's why I did that, which is kind of, you know, it's a, it's a risk. I mean, you take a chance. I mean, you're you're making a Rush cover longer than the Rush song. Right. What is wrong <laughs> with me, right? <laughs> so, you know. Um, but to answer your your question from before, I think hold your fire. Um, the example of the guitar tone there had to do with the mix to get the guitar to come out because you got to remember too there's also that that band uh, dynamic going on where you know we moved into a lot more keyboards during that era and what and the, and Alex has to figure out where's my place in each song mm-hmm. And you know, but I love Hold Your Fire because he he ends up doing all these really cool dynamic muted licks and things yes. like that.
2: Yes,
1: and they still have his really amazing rhythm playing come out when you hear songs like Open Secrets and Prime Mover and Oh
2: yeah, you know I, I mean think... you
1: you get all this meat in there. You still have classic Alex Lyson, but it's in a totally different way. Um, I, I always... think that album is genius.
0: Oh yeah, I completely. It, I yeah. think it's so underrated. I love the, the solo and turn the page, how the pinch harmonics yeah. fly. They they soar, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. So I, what, I totally what, agree with you.
0: What can you tell me about counterparts, the return of the bigger sound, but also those weird... Uh, are they guitar effects? Are they synths? Um, like in the middle of Speed of Love, for example.
1: Okay, um, if I remember correctly... On, on counterparts, if I remember correctly, he went. They went back to he was doing um, like speaker emulators on that record, if I remember correctly, or at least on the tour. Um, he might be. I, I think I heard also that he was using like uh, like. A Roland jazz chorus on that album, if I remember correctly, huh. which is kind of like a different amplifier for him. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it too, is he, I think he used a PV as well. So he used like a Roland uh, jazz chorus and as his main amplifier for that record. Um, so just as like, well as, just like yeah. Getty,
0: he was going back to some older equipment.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I think a lot of that, too, that might have also been one of those um, effects like I mentioned on the Moving Pictures production style where they stacked parts. Did You sit, you, you did say Speed of Love, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's got that really nice clean tone. The beautiful thing about Alex is he'll often take a guitar part and then he'll play it clean tone and then he'll change it to a slightly distorted tone. Yes, and he'll double that same part. <laughs> so what you're actually hearing is not just one guitar.
2: I love it. But it,
1: but the way they mix it, it sounds like just one guitar. But in the studio, he can layer it just enough to get a, a good articulation. Yeah. And I've I've actually been using a lot of those techniques on on my albums. So. Uh huh. It's been it's been really fun.
0: I, this is so much fun to. to... To hear someone who definitely knows, they're not guessing. You know what's happening. Now, what about... <laughs> am I wrong to say that the the guitar tone on a lot of Test for Echo sounds over-compressed? There aren't very many dynamic changes in his sound. It's, it's a very... Um, uh, it's like a warmer kind of distortion.
1: Yeah. Um, for
0: example, I the beginning of um, The Color of Right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a. I love the guitar sound on that track. I mean, I think um, if I remember correctly, on that album he was using Marshall's, man. Oh yeah. Um, I think he went back to Marshall's on that album, and uh, like if you hear, gosh, if you hear Driven, whoa, the guitar tone on Driven is just epic.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And you know, so for me, I, I I've heard some people say that it sounded over compressed, but I think. What they really mean is he, they, they did layer some guitar parts on that record. Um, so perhaps they, perhaps they, they might mean over compressed because they were going for a very thick, thick sound. I mean, right. like, you know, earlier we didn't really get to talk about Presto, but Presto was like a completely different album because all of a sudden they had to, um, to, to not worry about keyboards very much it was just let's get back to the power rock trio thing, right you know so yeah. on that album you, you get the same thing I think Test for Echo in the same way I think we are we you know are seeing this return again to like really fat guitar tones um sometimes what can happen um like uh I'll use Vapor Trails as an example um, I love the remastered version of neighbor Trails, okay. I mean, It's just phenomenal uh-huh. uh remixed actually as well. Yes, but um, you know, that's an example of perhaps the first go around where everything sounded really, really almost distorted, mm-hmm. like everything was muffled it was it was mastered so like back with with that era, you have what's called like the the loudness war. Um, where people were trying to like compete on who could master a record the loudest so that somebody didn't have to turn it up at all, you know? Right. And I, and I think that still exists to a certain point, but now mastering engineers are becoming a lot more trying to make it be about the smoothness of the sound rather than just how loud it can go. So I think that, that album just got overcooked a bit. Mm-hmm. Where. are what I'm actually getting at is that sometimes a guitar tone, the reality of a guitar tone, has to live in the sonic space of the of the best for the mix. So, like when you listen to a rush album, you almost have to look at it like, this is the best guitar sound for that song to serve the song. And that's what Alex is all about anyway. is like serving the song rather than being like, you know, hey, look at me, play. Mm -hmm. Although he does have that nice, you know, guitar, you know, presence when he, when he plays, he's a, he's a great uh, performer.
0: Right. When analog kid shows up or working man, then he turns into your,
1: your average. Yeah, exactly. He's no slouch. I mean, he can (laughs) certainly be a guitar virtuoso and he can certainly be, you know, he, but he doesn't, his market is not that guitar macho guy. You know, maybe when he hits a chord, right? And, I mean, like, I mean, he certainly ha- gets into it, but if you compare the marketing strategy from Dan Halen to Rush, it's a totally different thing. Because <laughs> the marketing strategy is more about the band as a genius element rather than just, you know, Alex Lifeson being the best guitar player in the world. And, you know, and, and I think he is, but I'm just saying, like, right. the marketing behind that sort of thing. So the slant... I...
0: I keep adding questions. Instead of checking these questions off, I keep adding more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's okay, man. It's fine. Uh, give me 30 seconds on the, my next two comments. Uh, did Rush okay. just suddenly discover drop tuning on Test for Echo? Because half of the record, if not more, is in drop D or something else. And I uh, yeah. agree, disagree that Snakes and Arrows is maybe sonically as a whole superior to many of the other albums and Alex's tone is fantastic on that album.
1: Okay. For, for one thing, I think, um, I think alternate tunings with Alex, I think he's been doing that for a long time. Um, but you know, you, you see a lot of that air happening on Test for echo. And, uh, you know, I think he used it on counterparts. That's too, right. If I remember Stick it out. is Yeah. Dropped to you, I think. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So, um, like, I think it was, you know, sometimes as a guitar player, you you can go through certain times where you pick up a guitar and you're just kind of like, I'm in a rut. I need to change things up, right? Yep. So I think for for Al, it was probably like, hey, let's, you know, I see some other guys doing stuff like this. I mean, he he's a good friend of Stephen Bennett, who's a harp guitar player in Toronto, and. Um, there you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of guitar players that he knows that, you know, he sits back and watches as well. So I imagine that a lot of that came from watching other people do alternate tunings and then being like, Hey, maybe I can do that.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: And then because he's got a guitar tech, it makes it doable for a rock trio, you know. Yeah. So he was like, Why can't I bring that element in? And I think that's where it went and then you have, you know, tests for echo. Opens up that opening track. I mean, just amazing, and you're like, "Wow, that's a that's a cool sound." Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you mentioned um, Snakes and Arrows. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had Nick. Yeah, you know, that's it. They had as Nick as producer, <laughs> You know, yeah. and you know, Bouge, if you will. Yep. Um, and I think uh, I think he did a lot of great work for the band because you know they were looking for somebody that had a fresh take on the industry. And of course he worked with, you know, Evanescence and um, Foo Fighters Mm -hmm. to name a few. But, uh, you know, I think, I think part of that also has to give credit to Rich Chicky, their engineer on that album, because I mean, he, he works with Dream Theater. He works with Aerosmith. I mean, he's no slouch he's a phenomenal engineer. I mean, I've learned tons of stuff from him myself, mm-hmm. you know, just by listening to his, work, his final masters and mixes and things. Um, but uh, I think a lot of that album has to, as far as the guitar tones and the, you know, the technology got so much better with 24 bit uh, recording. And of course they use logic, they use Logic Pro as their software yep. when they record Rush. So there's a lot of options. Um, I think a lot of it had to do also with Allaire Studios, uh, which is up in your of Oh, yeah. End of the there, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I think a lot of that had to do with the space that they had there. They had a huge space yeah. to work. Yeah. Um, and they could <laughs> crank the snot out of an amp in that big room in there. And, I mean, just so. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I would tend to agree with you. I love Snake's Nero's production. The whole album is just great.
0: You mentioned uh. earlier about uh, the Dreamline solo. and yeah. I've said it a few times on the show. It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite uh, song to hear, my favorite solo to hear live because it's different every time. Alex doubles the, the length of it, puts the the part we're used to hearing from the record at the back end, and spends the whole yeah. other half building up to it, and I think that's amazing.
1: I think that's awesome the way he does that with certain tracks. I mean, I mean live i I think I love that Rush is starting to put more improvising in the music. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes it cool and fresh for them. I mean, you know, they have to leave their families, they have to tour i mean they ha- I mean it's a big responsibility, but to be able to be up there and not make the not make the music stale for them, where everything is certainly hundred percent all worked out. I think is a nice way to to have a good balance mm-hmm. you know when you're when you're touring and uh, performing uh and i enjoy it as a guitarist because he does something different every night and i mean you know i don't have that much money to go to like 12 shows a tour but i'll i'll go to atlanta and i'll go to charlotte and then raleigh yeah. and it's like it's cool i mean of course this Last time around, they had the A set and the B set and then the variation to the B set and all that. <laughs> it made
0: it so you had you know? to see multiple shows.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. right. I saw so, three
0: shows, Brandon, on Clockwork. work, I think I, yeah, three, and I got A, B, A. And man, if I got three A's and didn't get to hear Middletown Dreams, it would have been yeah, a see, sad, that sad a time.
1: That, that, that was certainly the track that I wanted to hear. And um, I think they had to switch it up for Limelight when yeah. i was in atlanta and i didn't get to hear Middletown, but of course i got to see it on the dvd and stuff sure
0: so. uh give me yeah, one song it. you want to hear on the new tour a, oh a, my gosh a deep cut if
1: they if they would do the available light or you know that track really? available light i would love to hear that song live um the other one would be losing it from signals i'm sure. a sucker for that tune
0: yes why you didn't know, they do I mean, it last tour <laughs>
1: You know, well, that's the thing. You know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with Ben Meek, who was the you know he's friends with Getty He
2: did the my favorite gu- Headache. He did the guitar stuff on that headache. album,
1: right? Yeah, he did the guitar stuff on my favorite Headache and the like violin on stuff. Signals. He did the electric violin dr- that over that section. Yep. And I think that section, if I remember correctly, oh gosh, what time signature is that? In? I think it's, it's like... At eleven. Um, Six eight five eight, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, like a like a like an eleven eight groove there, and so he's soloing over that, just amazing, amazing stuff. I think it has, I think it would have to do a lot with that. Where that that would be a big responsibility for someone to step up the plate and and do that. Right.
0: Now I've so, never I- considered av- available light along with ninety percent of Presto. Yeah. is a song that took me a wicked long time to be able to enjoy or to even listen to. And
1: that's to. okay, you know, everyone has a different taste, but And just um, like all of
0: us with songs like that, now we love them. You know, I love right. that track.
1: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, it's funny that 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 track um you know um, I never
0: considered it a song a live song, a song that was built for a live show, but now I'm going to have to go back and think about that and listen to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's funny cause I do these rush covers and, and you know, I guess I could, you know, that's certainly going to be my next one. So oh, anyway, interesting. Um, yeah, I'll be listening.
0: So, yeah. Um, so <laughs> available light that I did not think you were going to pull that one out. Uh, yeah, I
1: love that song. I, I, I don't know what it. I think it's lyrics. It's the content of the lyrics, um, I even think that Alex's guitar solo is just really, really emotional. Yeah. It's got that emotive quality that he talks about a good bit. Yep. Um, but I I just I don't know, there's something about that song that just that just is good to the human spirit. It just that's all I can say. I mean it just has <laughs> it just it just leaves you feeling good. Yeah. You know, I yep. mean and I would say that Shane Lightning does that to me. Um, on that album uh
0: how would he approach track, that solo live because isn't it reversed
1: yeah i i mean that's the thing i don't think they did that track live chain lightning i don't that's know if right, they did yeah. it live um if if he did i'm sure there's a way that brad in the house could help him out with that trust <laughs> me i know that <laughs> so brad's a, he's awesome i've chatted with him a few times and you know learned a lot of audio tricks and stuff from him oh yeah just um, from being at shows well, yeah, I've talked to him at shows, and we're friends on Facebook. And, nice. you know, he's got these audio things that he'll post sometimes, and everybody pops up and gives a little 10 cents. and yep. So it's, I've learned a lot from those guys, and I really, really appreciate that they're open to people like me, you know?
0: Um, so. We talked about My Favorite Headache quickly. That's an album that I liked the the first track and thought the rest Uh was garbage for probably five years, and then suddenly (laughs) I can't stop listening to it. Um, Tell me quickly about my favorite headache, but I want to hear what you have to say about Victor, which hardly ever gets talked about.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Victor. Um, Well, as far as my favorite headache goes, I thought that album was genius. I mean, for me, I remember picking up my son and just like, riding around with him in the back seat and he would go put on bravest face, you know, not, you know, not, you know, not a bravest face, but, um, he, he would say put on flipping or, or, you know, put on, um, close to grace is what I meant to say. So, you know, that, that last song on that album is just
2: amazing. I agree. I I was
1: like, when I heard grace to grace, I was just like, wow, (laughs) you know, I'm with you. That's why I
0: can't stop listening to that one track. Um, yeah, that and Window to the World. I like a lot, but the, like I said, the yeah, whole album yeah. is Working so good. Yeah, Working Out
1: Perfect is yeah. great. I mean, Windows to the World. I mean, all, that whole Runaway Train. I think it is. I mean, all of those. Uh, um, all of those songs are really good songs, and I think Ben Meach did a great job on the guitar work on that yes. album. So,
0: um, Victor awesome. has some songs that are so strong. I can't even begin to describe it, and then it has songs that are so weak that it, they're they're almost so experimental and so humorous that I'm like, uh, I can't. I can't
1: yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny because I think the beautiful thing about Victor is that one, um, you know, Alex got his friend Bill Bell to play on that record with him, um, guitar player who who is now playing for Jason Mraz, actually mm-hmm. tours with to Jason Mraz and everything from from uh, Toronto, Canada, um, great great guitar player. But anyways, I mean, there there was that collaboration in there. Um, I forget the guy's name that sang. He was from a band that Alex really liked the sound of his vocal. And then I think it's genius some of the storyline that Alex did on some of that. You know, um, you know, it's it's certainly like a darker record and and I think it's one of those things where for for him he was he was making his own statement and i i, I certainly respect that statement yeah. um i mean and and I think also you got to remember he probably wanted it to sound a little bit like rush it, it there's no way to get around it yeah. but he also wanted it to sound like his own little thing you know um and i think I think he achieved that goal I think that album is really good I like it.
0: That's what I love so, about having those two solo albums at the same happen at the same time was that yeah. they kinda of, rush was going on for so many years, and then they kind of split up and then came right back together and it, when they split up it was a chance to see, oh, this is where the writing this kind of writing I hear in Rush comes from. It comes from Alex, or this is definitely Getty's writing these parts of Rush. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and you know, that's a wonderful thing about their family environment you know, when Neil went through his heartache with all that, I mean, that's, I mean, we were all rooting for him and it, 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 just, I mean, it sucked. I mean, there's no other way to look at it and we were all rooting for him. But, you know, during that, during that time, uh, Getty and Alex, you know, they, they kind of shut down too for a while. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they were right there with them trying to, trying to help, you know, and then, but, but when they all came together and finally started doing vapor trails. I mean, at first it didn't didn't happen overnight, you know. I mean that that record I think took 14 months if I remember correctly. Yep. Um so there's a lot of uh there was a lot of just triumph coming back to the to to the to this thing called rush that they <laughs> that they created so many years before that, you know.
0: Brandon, I really uh, so. appreciate you coming on. Um It was nice to talk to you, finally. I know we've been friends for a while on Facebook.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast.
0: one thing I I envy big time about you, and that's that you were able to... You became a fan in 1990, and you were able to see... (laughs) You were around for the release of Roll the Bones, Counterparts, Test for Echo, Vapor Trails, both solo albums, Vapor Trails, Feedback, (laughs) Snakes and Arrows, and Clockwork Angels. Um, I was... Able to see the, I was a fan just in time to see *Snakes and Arrows* come out, and it that was like such a cool feeling. And then to see to have *Clockwork Angels* as a new album, I can't imagine having all of those as new albums.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it, it, I I certainly look back and I want to live it all again. I mean, much like you know, headlong <laughs> flight. But but I mean that that certainly it certainly is great. I mean, you know, people p, people that are Rush fans they get it they they get why rush is so appealing to all of us it's it's because it's like there's musical freedom and there's artistic freedom there that they were able to do all of this on their own terms with with a with a deal that helped them do that as well obviously but but the um but yeah i mean i think everybody wants musical freedom I mean, When you look at our music world right now it's like you know it's Mainly more about image than it's about music. I mean, I'll, I'll ask many people who their favorite artists are these days, and it's like some of the music that my friends and I are into, they've never heard of or whatever. And so it's an interesting time for music. It's, it's definitely been a challenge as an independent artist. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you know, people ask me stuff like, why do you post your stuff on Facebook so much? And I'm like, well, that's my only platform. I don't, that's all I have is that and some other social networks and, yeah. you know, things like that. But, you know, in the, in the town where I live, a lot of people, you know, don't really listen to progressive rock a lot. So it's mainly, you know, uh song off the radio or country or mm-hmm. uh, for some reason in Greenville, beach music is like super in. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. But, but yeah, not that I dislike beach music or any of the other stuff, but it's just it's really difficult a lot of in a lot of ways now if you're going out in public not playing a bunch of cover songs that people want to hear, you're already have a disadvantage when you go, Hey, this is a new song that I wrote, it's called Enough and it's about materialism and it's about dealing with, you know, character issues and who you really are. <laughs> you know, you go out and you say that, and people are like, "What are you talking about?" You know, so honesty, I guess. Right? Tell people Spirit where. Radio. Tell people where they can find <laughs> your stuff. Okay, well, essentially, right now, the best place to go is my website, BrandonDyke dot com. Um, you can link directly to my SoundCloud page from there under Music tab. It will say Instrumental and Singer Songwriter. And you can read up on my album, Headspace, that I'm working on. And you can find my stuff on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play. Um, the acoustic version of Mission is certainly on all three of those. And then, of course, I'm on YouTube as well. So, yeah, that's 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 probably the best place to go.
2: Very cool. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, if you want to stream for free you go to spotify we get i think we only i think we get two cents a play yes. so yeah put it on repeat and play it over and over again <laughs> so. that's great
0: yeah well thanks yeah. again for coming on man i really appreciate it you did a great job i loved it um thanks i man. wish these could be three hours long uh, yeah i
1: know i'm sorry about taking no up more your no, time, no no, no. I, I would you. keep
0: going if i could i love it um well
1: dude definitely man well, thank you for chatting, and uh, we had a great time. You got Call it. me any time, brother.
0: <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, All right, man. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, uh, if you uh, like the show, go to iTunes and rate slash review the show and get us a little bit more publicity and get some more listeners. Uh, feel free to email us as well. On the, You can find that information on the website. And I hope you guys keep listening and downloading. It's been a blast for me, that's for sure. So... Uh, See you soon. Thanks. Brought to you by... No, I didn't say it. Brought to you by Knickerbock.